Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. You know, we've hired a number of my new colleagues for my media venture down here in D.C., specifically using ZipRecruiter. That's right. We use ZipRecruiter for our hiring process. We got video editors. We got assistant producers. Everything we needed for a TV show, guess what? We were able to find on ZipRecruiter, and we found the best of the best, and it was easy. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. My last name, S-E-X-T-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You are entering the Freedom Hut. We're just days away from a critically important summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un of North Korea, and the media is trying to pull apart the preparations for it. It's pretty clear they're rooting against success, not just for Trump, but for America and the world on this one. We'll also talk about more expectations for the Inspector General report, supposed to be out within about a week. That is going to be a rough one for Comey and McCabe. Plus, uh, Nancy Pelosi tries to get into some of the numbers on the economy. You can imagine that that was quite a train wreck. We've got that and much more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I'm here live from the swamp. Ooh, this is swampy. Very excited to be with you today. Much to discuss with all of you, and uh, thank you very much for your time. You got this summit coming up here in just a few days. Going to be in Singapore, and what you can't help but notice is that the media is looking to run every negative story about this they can. And it's not just to get clicks. It's not just because they are looking to tell any story that will get them some attention. But you also get the sense that they want to form a narrative in advance of recklessness and failure so that no matter what happens at this summit, they will then give you a follow-on of, see, it was recklessness and failure. They They don't care really what happens there. They are going to be telling you that this was Trump the buffoon, Trump the man who's unable to represent us properly on the world stage because if he gets this thing right they are so out of any credibility to criticize this president i don't know who could still believe them at this point i don't know who says you know i'm going to keep listening to the legacy media that assured its readers its listeners its viewers that trump had no chance of winning that he was a clown that he was an imbecile that he was evil that he was bringing fascism. What else can they throw at him? If he manages the most important 
diplomatic breakthrough since the end of the Cold War, I think that it's going to make things tough for them. You got Rudy Giuliani out there trying to set a little bit of a different tone about where these negotiations are going and what it's like right now from our side of the negotiating table. Here's what he had to say. Play five. They also said they were going to they're going to go to nuclear war against us. They, they, they were going to defeat us in a nuclear war. We said, well, we're not going to have a summit under those circumstances. Well, Kim Jong-un got back on his hands and knees and begged for it, which is exactly the position you want to put him in. That's right. Remember when the summit was off? We were all being told, oh, my gosh, look at how much this all fell apart. He can't get the summit done. What are we going to do now? Trump is such an idiot, right? Oh, he's such an idiot. That's what they always say. Now it's back on. and Oh, his preparation's not good. They they just seethe with hatred for the president in every story they write and everything that they say. And it couldn't be any more apparent that at this point in time, it doesn't even matter what comes out of this summit. They're going to say that it was a blunder, a failure, a catastrophe. Even they're going to try. They have no credibility to protect. And when a media has no credibility to protect, it is capable of almost anything. On the preparations. Now you're seeing this this manic fixation on the preparations for North Korea. Oh, my gosh, Trump is not having the necessary meetings. They don't know what meetings he's having or not having. They have no idea. They're just making crap up. Making crap up because it lets them tell a story about how they don't like how they don't like Trump. That's the best story they can possibly tell, right? Anything that makes the president look bad. He spoke about the issue of preparations, and they jumped all over this. Play 17. I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's about uh, attitude. It's about uh, willingness to get things done. But I think I've been preparing for the summit for a long time, as has the other side. I think they've been preparing for a long time also. So this isn't a question of preparation. It's a question of whether or not people want it to happen. And we'll know that very quickly. I want to tell you from my experience with diplomats, dealing with people at the State Department, understanding how there is an obsession with process and protocol. And that, that is the, the defining characteristic of most of the, uh, the... Look, there are some amazing diplomats out there, great ambassadors, all that. You know, all those caveats apply. But the overall culture at the State Department is just process, process, process. And... The results don't matter nearly as much because as long as you can point to a process that everyone agreed on, you're going to say, see, we did it the right way. We did it the way we're supposed to. We did it the way that everybody around us, everyone else who's involved, says we, we should because that's how it's done. It's really a circular thinking. But you see, Trump is trying to be disruptive in this approach to North Korea. He's saying, you know, what he's doing here is the equivalent of walking into a boardroom for a company that is failing. And they're all trying to say, oh, sir, I've got this report that I pulled. Oh, I've got this PowerPoint presentation. And he's like, no, 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 I, just just wipe it all off the table. What is working here? What is not working? Who do I need to fire? Who do I need to hire? How do we turn this thing around? What he said is that's going to be his approach with Kim Jong-un. By the way, all these people are saying, oh, okay. what? They think Kim Jong-un is some kind of negotiating genius? Based on who? On what? The guy is a totalitarian dictator. 
He's got, you know, he executes people. You think he's so slick? You think he's got such great skills? It's crazy when you actually get down into this. You know, the, the way, he, the kid, how, what is he, like 33, I think? I'm just pulling that out of the air. He's like early 30s. I mean, granted, you put me in there, I'm 36. You put me in there, it'd be a problem. Because I'm going to come out and be like, all right, I'll give up my nukes, but I want this little piece of real estate called Hawaii to hang out at. 33, right? Yeah, I was right. Obviously. Obviously. Thanks, Mike. So, you know, this is... This is just the nonsense that they're pulling out here. And by the way, he's got a guy with his back that I have comp- I have confidence in his knowledge, ability, skill set. The president has confidence in his knowledge, ability, skill set. And, you know, he's got the team he needs. And no, not just Bolton, who should really have a national security, just a national security council just assigned to his mustache. But Secretary Pompeo, who... You know, is a a really squared away guy. Here's what he's saying about the the sanctions and and where we how we should place this upcoming summit with North Korea. Play 18. The president recognizes that North Korea has great potential, and he looks forward to a day when sanctions on the DPRK can begin to be removed. However, that cannot happen until the DPRK completely and verifiably eliminates its weapons of mass destruction programs. President Trump and Chairman Kim will certainly also discuss security assurances for the DPRK, establishing a peace regime and improving relations between our two countries. Until we achieve our goals, the measures that the world alongside the United States has put on the regime will remain. In the event diplomacy does not move in the right direction, these measures will increase. He's saying they either give us what we want or we tighten the screws even more. People are saying, oh, there's this big risk. Big risk of what? I mean, there's risks in anything worth doing. But when you actually look more closely at, at what's happening here and what the regional dynamics are for North Korea, for China, for our allies, Japan, South Korea, it's this or what? Who has a better alternative? Bipartisan failure stretching back for 30 years on dealing with North Korea. Both sides. No skills whatsoever to speak of when it comes to ending the North Korean nightmare. No victories to speak of, I should say. And, and this is, this is what, what really troubles me. And I just have to put this out there because I want you to have it in your mind as we read this coverage next week, as we you know look at this with the clearest eyes we can. It's going to have some, I think it'll have some impact on the markets too, by the way. It's just, there's going to be a sense of global confidence that will be, like, I think it's going to be ebullient if this is a positive meeting. Uh, it's a positive meeting. Uh, by the way, Trump is not promising it's a positive meeting. Play, play 16, please. All I can say is I am totally prepared to walk away. I did it once before. Uh, you have to be able to walk away. If you're not going to be able to walk away, uh, we didn't walk away from the horrible Iran deal that was signed. And if you look at what's happened since I signed that deal, Iran, and in all fairness, I say it with great respect for the people of Iran, but Iran is acting a lot differently. They're no longer looking so much to the Mediterranean. They're no longer looking so much to what's going on in Syria, what's going on in Yemen, and lots of other places. They're a much different country over the last three months. He's right about Obama and the Iran deal. 
he gave away. I mean, the, the most important information you can have about your opponent in a negotiation is will they actually take any deal? Do they have to have a deal? If they have to have a deal, you have all the leverage. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what they – all the other factors can be pushed aside because if they have to have a deal, you just set your floor. What will you – you know, what, what's the bare minimum that you'll take? And then they're, they're going to meet you there because they have to do a deal. Obama wasn't going to walk away from Iran and look like a, a loser on that one. That was the mentality of his team. That was John Kerry and the State Department then. Well, that's not a way to negotiate. I will just put this out there as well. What negotiating experience really did Barack Obama have before overseeing at his State Department this Iran deal? I know he wasn't the one day in and day out, but say what you will about President Trump. He's been in the boardroom before. He's been trying to get get a better deal for his side than the other side for the last 40 or 50 years. Okay, so that should matter in some way at some time to the media. But it doesn't, of course, it doesn't. I've said it before. I've said it again. And this is what I was getting at before. You've got to remember this. Their biggest fear, and this is a true statement. This is going to sound a little crazy. The media's biggest fear is not that we go to war with North Korea. It's that Donald Trump is successful and that there is no war, that there is a normalization, that there is a massive breakthrough. If nothing else, think about what that will mean, as I was saying to you at the start here, for their narrative about Trump. What does it mean for their narratives about themselves? You know, the, the, these media figures who claim that they they're the ones that cannot that understand who is going to be a great diplomat who has the skills to operate on the world stage they've told us trump is well out of his depth way out of his league if he steps up to the plate the first time and hits a home run what does that do to their credibility and just think about the comparisons that we'll be able to draw between barack obama who got a nobel prize for being President Barack Obama. That's it. That's it. They're, they're, they can say whatever they want about it. That is what that was. A Nobel Prize for being president. And whether Trump gets a Nobel Prize or not, we will all know. We look at these two administrations. One president who is who was hailed by the media as, as erudite, as a genius, really. As And by Obama's own admission, based on what Ben Rhodes has written, what we've been talking about this week, too brilliant for us, too good for us, really, too smart for the American people. And his legacy of just failure and a coddling media that will do anything, will just, just debase themselves, get down on their hands and knees and beg for Obama to say one nice word to them. On the other hand, Trump, who they say is some kind of troglodyte in a blonde wig, goes out there and puts us on a pathway to a truly safer world. Takes one of the axis of evil uh, pieces off the chessboard, possibly, possibly. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying they are afraid that that happens. They will. I don't know what they're going to do. It'll be like Hillary's victory party that wasn't such a victory all over again, right? Just gnashing of teeth and wailing and rending of garments and big, big, Liberal tears all over the place. Meanwhile, the rest of the world will be celebrating, right? Not the least of of whom will be the North Korean people who will finally have a shot 
finally have a shot at meaningful lives. It's it's powerful stuff, my friends. Uh, we we're gonna have to, I'm going to talk a bit more about the economy this show than we have in the last few days because I think that's another place where, ah, oh man, November can't come soon enough as far as I'm concerned. It's going to be a great one. I, I want to, like, it would be fun if we could do, like, a election night team buck party somewhere, you know? Just barbecue, American flags, and freedom. And just watch all watch those returns come in. Yeah, I know. We, we should... I'm having I'm having these thoughts in real time on the air. If you got if you got any thoughts you want to share about the summit, about the economy, anything, honestly, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Our Freedom Hotlines are open. Light them up, team. Be right back. Yes, we could absolutely sign an agreement. We're looking at it. We're talking about it with them. We're talking about it with a lot of other people. But that could happen. But that's really the beginning. Uh, Sounds a little bit strange, but that's probably the easy part. The hard part remains after that. Uh, Normalizing relations is something that I would expect to do, I would hope to do when everything's complete. There are a lot of good factors lined up for North Korea, a lot of tremendous factors that give it tremendous potential. It has tremendous potential because the people are great. And uh, we would certainly like to see normalization, yes. Normalization. That's the goal. We'll see. We've got some lines. Let's get to it. Uh, Brent in New Mexico. Good to have you, sir. Hey, Buck. Shields high. Shields high. Hey, i got a quick question for you. Uh, just a hypothetical. Say Trump gets this deal done. And uh, do you think he's going to take the direction of having this signed through as a treaty, or do you think he's going to go the executive order route? Because I'm already reading where the Democrats, it's kind of ironic and funny that they're not going to go along with it unless there's some, just, some real verification uh, on inspections, which is kind of funny to me with the way they treated Iran. But I was just curious about your thoughts on which process you think he'd more, more likely use. Well, I, I look, a, a treaty, as we've seen from what happened with Obama, you want a treaty because that has more long-lasting effect. That's actually constitutionally sound. So if you can get a treaty, that's that's the way to go. And on this issue of North Korea, if Trump has, you know, if Trump is able to get where he wants to with this first meeting, then, I, you know, I think that may be something we're discussing. But we got to understand that it's it's the first step in the process. So I think we're going to be talking a lot about whether you know both sides are going to argue about whether the meeting was a success or not and i don't know if there'll be enough from it to necessarily go to a treaty you know go to a, a treaty discussion right away does that make you see what i'm saying like I, I think it'll be a little ways down the line i mean in terms of an executive order what would the executive order be i mean the problem with any executive order is that the next president unless a judge steps in like what happens to trump can undo it so i'm 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 in in a in a wait and see mode on all of this stuff, because we have to be. I mean, we have to be. I, but it's a, it's a fair question. Treaty or executive order, Brent? Let me give it some more thought. I'll come back to it. And as I have uh, a more wholesome answer for you, I will share it on the air. Brent, thanks for thanks for giving us a ring. Uh, we've got some lines lit. If you want to call, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Uh, let's, I, I do, if you want to talk North Korea, that's cool. But employment, jobs, the economy, it's fun to discuss right now because... Business is booming, baby. It's a good time to be an American. And not a good time to be a Democrat who wants to pretend that it's not a good time to be an American. 
holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So this isn't just about the unemployment rate. It's about wages rising in our country uh, so that consumer confidence is restored because our economy will never fully reach its um, uh, possibilities unless we increase the consumer confidence. And that can only be increased by the better deal, better jobs, better wages. Housing subsidies and the rest has not gone down because of the wage stagnation. So in terms of the financial stability of America's working families, unless we have an increase, a very significant increase in uh, uh, wages and and, and bigger paychecks, uh, we were going to increase the frustration of America's families because they'll be saying, hip, hip, hooray, unemployment is down. What does that mean to me in my life? I need a bigger paycheck. There has never been a better time to invest in the United States. Thanks to our massive tax cuts, historic deregulation, a strong trade policy, which has just really begun, because I will tell you over the years it has been an extraordinarily weak trade policy, the opening of American energy and a return to the rule of law. Our economy is absolutely booming, best it's ever been. Unemployment is at the lowest level in nearly half a century. And for African-American and Hispanic-American workers, unemployment has reached its lowest level ever recorded. So who are you going to believe on the economy, folks? Pelosi or Trump? Stupid question. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. By the way, uh, we did a fact check of this one, courtesy of producer Mike. This is great. So Pelosi says that consumer confidence must be restored. It is currently measured. At 102.1, which is higher, that is higher under Trump, than at any time under Bush or Obama. That's 16 years of presidency, my friends. Consumer confidence higher now than at any time under Bush or Obama. Huh. That's like so weird. WTH. Also, Pelosi said... There's wage stagnation, but the employment cost index registered 2.6% for the full year 2017, which means that Trump had the best wage gains since the Great Depression. Way beyond anything Obama had in his eight years, by the way. And that's with Obama coming out, spending money like we had never seen before, spending your money. As a means of propping up the economy, make it seem like there was more growth and more going on than there was. Also, she calls consumer confidence canuber confidence, which maybe she was talking about something else there, but canuber confidence is not something I am familiar with, unless it's like something to do with Uber. I don't know. So there's that. Thanks for thanks for pulling that apart. I think Nancy's gonna go cry in the corner now, Mike. That's all on you. Don't Mike is not going to feel bad about that, though. No, not at all. Just real quick. I want to add on to that. I forgot to tell you this earlier. Actually, six of Obama's eight years in office saw gains of two percent or less. I think that's also important. But but it was really hard because, you know, the fat cats in the Wall Street and they're doing all these bad things and they're going to make it really difficult. So we're never going to have a good economy again. But I'm the best president ever. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. Uh, it turns out that the Obama economy was a pain inflicted on the American people that was not necessary, that was not inevitable, 
and there is a better way forward. Wow, it's amazing what can happen when you don't allow regulation to strangle small businesses and to push out competition. It's amazing when the government picks fewer winners and losers, is less engaged in market intrusions. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying Trump has fixed everything. You know, we're not crazy here, but it's getting better. It is improving. I think this is also a time when, and Mike, you can fact check me on this, there are more jobs, current, they estimate there are more jobs currently out there than there are people looking for jobs, which is a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? All these numbers that, can you imagine, by the way, if, if Obama had these numbers 18 months into his presidency, and I know people say, oh, Bach was coming out of the greatest depression or the history of depressions. Yeah, okay, whatever. All they had to do was shore up the banks, which Bush did. All Obama did was come in and be like, I'm going to spend a trillion dollars. I'm going to spend a trillion, a trillion dollars on stuff. Shovel-ready projects, trillion dollars. Didn't happen, right? Or the spending happened, but the shovel-ready didn't happen. The Bush administration was the one that's like, all right, we got to bail out the banks, you know, and that's a whole other conversation, but they were the ones that got that in motion. Well, you bailed out the banks. You had to have a reset, but the this was always the fact. This was the figure that bedeviled the Obama administration and is why I actually thought Mitt Romney had a real shot of winning in 2012 was because the recovery from the recession, and I know it was a very, it was a very painful recession, very real, no question about it. The recovery from that recession, though, was the slowest it had ever been since the Great Depression. So even with a difficult hand coming, and every administration is given a difficult hand in one way or another, but even with that, Obama's efforts to fix the economy were comparatively to other administrations coming out of recessions weak. Very, very weak. And now and now we, we see this. We see, okay, well, what's it like when a president comes in office who's like, you know what, we're going to do everything we can to let the business of the American people be business. And it is as Trump said, never been a better time to invest in the U.S. We are crushing it. We are actually, as a country, getting wealthier, happier, living longer than at any time in history. Things are better now than they have ever been, in fact. And I know people don't like happy talk. We got problems, I know. We got issues. We got, you know, uh, we got an opioid epidemic. We got illegal immigration. We still got jihadists circling the globe, looking to do us harm, looking to ruin everything that we've built here in this country. We've got Democrat statists internally trying to take away our freedoms. We've got people, you know, the, the, the progressive culture revolution is under full, under full swing. I get it. All that's happening. But if you're looking at this from an economic perspective, you cannot stop but think, wow, this president's actually getting some things done. It's going, it is going well. And that's why, I mean, Pelosi, who, by the way, I don't know. I don't know if she had her butler pull together those figures. You know, I, I don't know. She was like, Jeeves. Chiefs, I would like you to, to, to be the one to, to pull together all my research. You know, she's like not, I don't know. She says she's a master legislator, but I, I got questions. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's a fair, a fair statement of fact. Prove me wrong. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, John. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's uh, plenty of reasons for us to, to, sell, to be pleased with what's going on, but push for more. There's a lot more that has to get done. And I'm going to be on air with you at some point. I'm going to be talking about a, probably a 15 or 20% drop in the stock market. It's going to happen. There's going to be a little, things have overheated a bit because of structural long-term economic issues that haven't been dealt with yet because the debt, the deficit, that's all there. I get it. 
No, I'm not going to pretend it's not going to be happy times always and forever. But you know what's true about this president? If things get tough like that, at least we've got people in charge who know how to turn things around, too. Who can handle the up and down of the market without... I mean, we almost had an abandonment of capitalism underway when Obama came into office with the Occupy Wall Street movement and the redistribution of wealth and the pay your fair share. All of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, democratic socialism. That's the answer to a financial crisis that was largely engineered by the state acting under social justice principles. What they don't tell you about. So important that you remember this. You go back and you watch The Big Short. There's a lot, you know, that movie with uh, Brad Pitt. It's a very entertaining movie, but there's a lot of preachy stuff about you know, oh, they're just going to blame poor people and they're just going to blame immigrants. And they're just going to, I mean, those are quotes from the movie. That's what they say. And the whole movie is about blaming Wall Street, which, yeah, Wall Street is greedy and Wall but their job is greed. To borrow from Gordon Gecko, greed is good. I mean, it can be, it's not always good. Uh, but self interest is at the heart of capitalism. And self interest is a beautiful thing when harnessed in a, properly in a society. It's why. Our capitalist system has been the greatest creator of global wealth in the history of the planet in the shortest amount of time of any period in human history. We have pulled more people out of poverty. We've created more long-term durable wealth, better lives for billions, literally billions of people. Thanks, capitalism. But instead, you've got a left-wing progressive movement in this country that likes to question capitalism at every turn and refuses to accept that it is just a better system for organizing human affairs than the state in control. They object to that. They don't like it. They are ideologically predisposed to dispense with the facts. On the big short, which I mentioned to you, they never get into the fact that the only reason that you could have such crappy loans made for homes was because of government mandates that stretch all the way back to the Community Reinvestment Act and the practices of redlining they were saying that minority dominant areas of the country were not getting loans for homes that access to credit became not a financial issue but a social justice issue and by saying that lending practices were racist and that banks had to get rid of the financial numeric standards in place that was the fissile material that was the fuel that led to the conflagration of the great recession but they don't teach, you know, they, the, the movie completely ignores that. You do not hear the words in the big short about the financial meltdown of 2008. You do not hear the words Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. If you do, it's in passing and no one talks, like no one pays any attention. I don't even think it appears in the whole movie, though. Nothing. No talk about Fannie Mae or Freddie. Oh, that's right. Those semi-government organizations that were the ones guaranteeing all these loans that were pushing the Home Ownership Society as kind of a rite of passage in this country. Everybody gets a home. You know, you get a car, you get a car. Everybody gets a home. You mean that can lead to bad things? Oh, yeah, that's right. It it can very much lead to bad things. I was talking about the economy. I just kind of got on a just kind of got on a tear there. We got every line lit, so that's fun. We'll take some calls. We'll hang out an hour or two. A lot of, a lot of things, many things to discuss. I've got good stories. I've got good stories for you. Stay with me. We are lit here in the hut. Lots of lines uh, to get to here. Thank you for your calls, folks. Let's get to John in Winston-Salem. Hey, John. Good evening, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Good evening, sir. Thank you for uh, calling. 
I'm I'm uh, really really concerned about uh, the uh, discussions uh, right now with regard to uh, DACA, and it seems like uh, we're in danger of actually doing a form of amnesty, which I think will be a killer uh, come uh, come election time in, in November. My concerns are, are are these real quick. Uh, one, I think uh, the uh, the DACA uh, group was supposed to contain a lot of criminals. Those criminals should not be allowed to stay. Those criminals should not be allowed to uh, become uh, citizens. Secondly, uh, whatever they do with DACA, these people should not be allowed to vote. We've got to find some way to de-incentivize having them come. And I think uh, any consideration of any kind of citizenship should include the provision that there be absolutely no financial uh, no financial payout at all from city, state, or national for health care, for education, for housing, uh, medical, anything. They should be completely uh, off of the government dole. Otherwise, you're paying people to become citizens, and we've got to de-incentivize this whole idea. John, I, I understand what you're saying. I'll just let you know that our we have some history on this, on making people, uh, on amnesties and then letting people become permanent residents. And we can say and we can pass laws and, and all kinds of promises about how they will not access federal benefits. And they will access benefits, my friend. There will be lawsuits after lawsuits. The ACLU represent every uh, person covered under a DACA amnesty and say... It's unconstitutional. There's an equal protection violation because they can't access benefits. So I understand what you're saying. I agree with that sentiment. I just want you to be aware, though. All With amnesty, the only thing you are guaranteed is that those who are amnestied will stay. Anything about learning English, back taxes, paying fine, that's all hoopla. That's all nonsense, malarkey. But thank you for calling in, John, and it's good to talk to you. Uh, Kathy in mansfield ohio hey kathy oh hi hi buck hello um hey well this is fun to talk to you i love listening to you you make me laugh you make my day thank you so um, much my, fav- my favorite impersonation is your janet napolitano hands down she says thanks um yeah <laughs> but uh anyway <clears throat> i was calling to see what you thought about um with the Liberal media talking points and thinking of this with uh, the recent Bill Clinton meltdown with that question on Morning Joe. And I'm wondering, like, who gave that that person the marching orders to to ask him, um, you know, a tough question. And all of a sudden, that's, you know, such a soft uh, place for him to be. Um, and then di- kind of just tying that in with um, some of the just repetitive words that they'll use on the same day. Everybody, you know, Rush has played these sorts of um, montages where everyone says gravitas or nefarious or some word, you know. Then Yeah, has, people latch um, on to it. It's part of the echo chamber effect that the media has, that the media creates. So, right, but is there someone, is there some secret, um, like, phone call at 5 a.m. that they're all getting in on and... Well, they watch each other. Should I keep One thing that, that's, I think, good yeah. for folks outside to know is that pretty much every media organization is constantly watching every other media organization. It's like we're all spying on each other. Uh, and in some cases, it's 
it's just to be look it's you need to stay up on what's going on and people are covering breaking news and you're in a newsroom and you know what's happening but in most tv executives offices for example and most hosts of shows there are monitors with all the other networks on constantly uh, when I'm in New- when I'm in the New York office, for example, we're uh, doing my show. I have the cable news shows on mute in front of me on screens, not right in front of me, but I can look up and see them all the time. So you do have this reinforcement of certain concepts, ideas, stories that's going on. And if you're not careful, you end up being somebody who's like, you know, on the on the precipice, you know, lo- leaping into the abyss. A scene of carnage. You just start repeating what everyone else is saying about everything else that's out there. So, mm. but not us here, Kathy, because we got we got big vocabularies and lots of thoughts. <laughs> so that's right. that's what we do. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. So. Thanks so much, Kathy. Take care. Appreciate it. Shields high. Uh, I got I got a story about immigration. I want to tell you guys actually. Uh, so that will be coming up here in just a few. Um, really interesting facts. Really interesting information on that. Uh, here's the question I'll leave you with before we come back. How many immigrants are in the federal prison population? Take a guess right now. Don't, I, I can't hear you, but I will answer, and you can self-grade as to how close you are in just a few. A lot of you listening have dogs. You love dogs. I love dogs. And a lot of you live in places where you can actually have a yard, but you don't want the problem that a lot of pet owners have to face of your dog being able to dig out of your yard by going under the fence. And you might have tried some other things to deal with this problem, but none of it works, right? That's where Dig Defense comes in. It's an incredible product that solves the problem that pet owners deal with of dogs digging. It extends the protection of your fence underground in the yard. It keeps your furry kids safe, and it comes in a bunch of different models and sizes. It can fit your needs exactly. It's easy to install with a hammer and a pair of gloves. So if you've got pets who can dig under the fence, go check out Dig Defense right now. Available online at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. Again, go to StopTheDig.com to solve the problem of your pets digging under the fence and getting out. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you as always. Thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I hope also you will tell some folks to download this show. You can go to uh, Apple Podcasts and type in the Buck Sexton Show. You can subscribe there. Great. Our numbers keep going up month after month, and it's because of all of you. It's because you tell people. So every time I get a message from somebody who uh, on Facebook or an email that says, hey, I told a friend and now he's a podcast listener, I'm like, high five. If I don't actually write that or give you a thumbs up online, just know that I give you both a, a high five and a thumbs up. It really means a lot. I mean, I've got... You know, John running the board, Mike here, uh, producing the show, executive producing it. And we are, those guys are working their butts off. I'm giving you everything I can here day in and day out. And you passing along word to your friends is greatly appreciated. It's the single most helpful thing you can do. Unless you have a really fast growing business and you want to be a partnership with us. That's also cool too. So, you know, the, <laughs> you know, I, now I feel like Garth. When he's like, you're not bad, any corporate sponsor. And he's like, got all the Reebok gear on. And then Wayne is like, Nuprin, little, yellow, 
different after he says he has a headache, you know? It's such a great movie. I really, I, you know, they, they don't make them like that anymore. They really don't. I just pretend like the second Wayne's World doesn't exist. All right, immigration. I was telling you about how the, you can't trust, <laughs> like I've only said this once, I say it all the time, cannot trust Republicans in immigration. Can't, can't do it. You can't do it. We'll do it live. Uh, you, you can't trust them, and they show you why time and time again. Because a lot of them, Paul Ryan among them, don't really want there to be stricter enforcement, a secure border. Interior enforcement is very high on that list, by the way. E-Verify and other programs in place. They don't want any of that. Uh, and now Paul Ryan is blaming them. Play 11. I think the Democrats kind of walked away from the process once the Supreme Court took away our deadline on March the 5th on this issue. And that has left it to us to try and figure out how do we get this done. I worry that Democrats would rather have um, an issue than a solution. We're going to work on a solution. Yep. He is correct. I think they would rather have an issue than a solution. Uh, But then again, I'm not sure that much more can be said for the Republican side of things. I'm just kind of like I see it on this one. Um, A lot of GOP members want to talk about, they want to talk tough on immigration enforcement, but they really just want amnesty, amnesty, amnesty. And, you know, if you if you listen to some of the speeches Paul Ryan's get on this, he's the guy who's like, yeah, let's let people just come here, work here, stay here as long as they want. Not understanding that once you're here and you get into the system, getting you to leave is very, very difficult. I, I asked you a question before the break. I said, what percentage of the federal prison population do you think is comprised uh, or is composed, pardon me, Immigrants are what, there we go, better way to phrase it. Immigrants are what percentage of the federal prison population? 15? 20? Try 31%. 31% of the federal prison population is immigrants. So, that seems like a lot. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't even begin to tell you what the overall incarcerated population of immigrants in this country is. By the way, I'm not anti-immigrant. We're going to break this down. A vast majority of these immigrants are illegal immigrants. And by the way, a vast majority of the illegal immigrants who are in federal prison are there for drug smuggling. That's the number one issue that they are being uh, held for in, in federal prison. Um. Yeah, nearly half of the migrants in federal custody are there for drug smuggling or dealing. So either bringing the drugs into the country or moving drugs around the country once they're here. So that's, I think, a very important figure, but it also doesn't take into account state prison populations, which are much larger than the federal prison population. There's a lot more state prisons than federal prisons. And they don't keep reliable figures about immigrants in state prisons. Isn't that interesting? They just don't have them, they, they, and which is such a, how could you not know? Wouldn't you want to know if your state prison has people who are in the country illegally in it? Uh, wouldn't you want to know what's going on there? But I, I mentioned on the air, I think it was uh, earlier in the week, I said, what would happen? I mean, if you look at the, because we, we always hear, oh, immigrants commit, few, we're told immigrants commit fewer crimes than native-born Americans. So this is the the Democrats saying that 
you as an American are more likely to commit crimes than immigrants are. That's what they're always saying. And I say, okay, I, I'm, I'm not even talking about immigrants who are here legally. I, want, I just want to talk about illegal immigrants and the percentage of the illegal immigrant population involved in criminal activity versus the native-born American population. By the way, native-born American includes white, black, Latino, Asian, Hispanic, you know, everything, right? Then the entirety of Americans, my fellow Americans, versus those who come into the country illegally from any country. That's a much more, that's the apples-to-apples apples comparison. That's what I want to know. We, we don't have that information, though. Oh, isn't that, isn't that interesting? They don't, they don't keep that information. But I meant, you know, a, a city that is known for being the single biggest magnet for illegal, for illegal aliens in the country is Los Angeles. And I think it is interesting that when you go on the Los Angeles, and I'm on it right now, you go on the official site of the Los Angeles Police Department, the LAPD, which I think is the second largest PD in the country after where I work, the NYPD, and you look at the most wanted people in Los Angeles right now. We're talking about illegal aliens and illegal alien crime, and this is just this is anecdotal. I understand that, but the LAPD is currently at the top of its list looking for Jose Padilla, Augusto Cesar Nistal, Jesse, uh, Jesse Enrique Monares, Ramon Reyes, Victor Vargas, and Ruben Villa. That's what. It, what do you got for me, Mike? You got something? I, I couldn't hear you. I was just fast checking you on the uh, police departments. Uh, it is Chicago's actually one. number two. Oh, Chicago's number two. Darn it, Buck. All right, you got one on me this time, but savor the flavor because it won't happen again. I was trying to get you. I was surprised as you were. I thought you were right. I was just yeah. checking. No, that, that well, that makes sense because I think the way you know L.A. There's a lot of because L.A. is really many cities connected, so the LAPD specifically probably doesn't like there's there's like santa monica pd and i and i don't know how they do it there but nypd is huge nypd is forty thousand plus it's enormous it's like an army uh so anyway but I, I look at all these i look at all these individuals uh and they all have i mean look you heard the names they're all they're all they're all hispanic what's interesting to me is that the lapd's most wanted list uh they don't have they have their biographical they don't have listed here are they illegal aliens in the country so is there is there a, a deportation order around? None of that information is shared. They've got, you know, armed and dangerous. They have height. They have weight. They have tattoos. They have the, the date of birth, photo, all this different background information. Nothing here about whether he's an illegal alien. I, I just think that that's something that, I mean, it's a law enforcement organization. Can, can we know that? Are we, are we allowed to know that? Maybe? Because, by the way, that also goes to if he is an illegal alien, Guess what? That means he's got citizenship in another country because he's not undocumented. He just has documents from a different country than this one. And if he's on the run and he's an illegal alien, guess what the likeliest thing is for him to do? Go back to country of origin until the heat dies down. Oh, wow. You mean that as a public safety issue, it would be good to know whether this person is not just in the Los Angeles area, but is likely to be fleeing toward the border. That seems to me, I, I, I would, this is like in New York City when I'll sometimes, I, I, this is just what happens. You'll be watching TV and they'll be like, there is a, uh, you know, assault and burglary suspect on the loose. He wears t-shirts sometimes. 
He's male, 5'10", 185 pounds. That's all they got, huh? That's all, that's all they want to tell the public? They got a photo of him, but the announcer is just going to tell us 5'10", 185 pounds. Where's T-shirts? But I see a photo. They've got a photo, but they don't want to talk about the photo. That strikes me as strange. You could, you could call me a weirdo, but that strikes me as strange. And the fact that the LAPD has, it's, I, I know it's a, it should be a, I don't think they have a top 10 most wanted. They just have a most wanted. That's what I'm seeing here. But all of the individuals at the top of their most wanted list are uh, Latino. And none of, and they have all this information and photos, and none of them, they have their immigration status, which I think as a public safety issue, you'd want to know, are these people who have international ties? Are they likely flight risks to foreign countries? Like, that's stuff that, and I just wonder, does, LA, does the LAPD even have the information on file? I'm not sure. Because the way they structure these sanctuary cities, they don't want people to know. I mean, that's like a don't ask, don't tell policy about immigration status. L.A. right now doesn't want to honor detainer requests when ICE says, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, says, hey, can you hold on to that person for us? We'll be there tomorrow to pick them up and kick them out of the country. L.A. says, nope, not going to do that. Won't do that. <sighs> you know, this is where you get into, folks. They, they don't want to tell you the truth on this. They don't want to be held accountable. They're playing games with you. This is also why, I would note, there is a real effort out there to avoid tying the opioid epidemic into the illegal alien crime surge in the country. These are two things that are linked. The people bringing the illegal drugs, not the legal ones, and I could talk to you about it. There's some big case out now, actually, about a guy that's part of a $100 million uh, essentially Oxycontin fraud ring in Detroit. You know, he's facing a very long prison stretch. He's got doctors in on it. That's a part of it, too, I know. But on the illegal substance side, so fentanyl and heroin, the smuggling is coming from south of the border. The Mexican drug cartels are growing it, and they are using the illegal alien pathways into this country, the same smuggling routes, the same smuggling organizations, and then hiding in the illegal alien communities and then distributing these drugs in our communities in this country and killing 60,000 plus people a year. 60,000 and counting. Year in and year out. It's a lot of overdose deaths. In fact, I think I saw today a statistic that among millennials, 20% right now of millennial deaths, 20% of them directly attributable to opioid overdose. This scourge that is hitting communities across the country, that is hitting city after city, small cities, medium-sized cities too, not just in the major urban centers, is the result of penetration of those communities by smuggling rings. The smuggling rings come from south of the border and are using the much broader, and yes, I know, law-abiding or other than their illegal status, but illegal alien communities as cover for their actions and cover for their status. This is what's happening. It's almost like a drug insurgency, right? There are only some insurgents, but if they have a broader population to hide in, it makes it a lot more difficult to root them out. The cartels and their smugglers, their couriers, those are the insurgents in this analogy. 
This insur- this drug insurgency is in cities is in cities across the country right now, and it is killing large numbers of us. And this is why, when you look at the the federal prison population and how thirty percent of it involves, I mean, they say immigrants. Like I said, they need to start separating immigrants from illegal immigrants because I think that's a much more relevant statistic. Because I, I think then you'd see the concentration of illegal activity is among those who are already in the country illegally. People that go, I mean, people that go through the process of coming into this country. I have friends who have done it and told me about it in detail. It's a lot of work. You're not going to risk getting jammed up. And, and, you know, if you're the kind of person that goes through the, the immigration process legally and doesn't use some sketchy loophole or, you know, lie about something, pretend someone's your kids, you can come to the country. You, you're the kind of person that crosses the T's and dots the I's. You're the kind of person that wants your piece of the American dream, wants to go about it the right way. So you're in a whole separate category, but you see, they always want to, uh, you know, muddy the waters. They always want to make it more difficult to understand the real scope of the problem and the real center of the problem, which is illegal immigration. Because if we knew and we're able to really drill down into the numbers over how much illegal immigration feeds into the opioid epidemic that is consuming this country and is destroying communities, particularly in the Rust Belt and Appalachia, uh, there would be a finally, I think, a groundswell, a political clamor for action to be taken. A wall, interior enforcement, shut down the pipelines, shut down the continued infiltration of this country, of millions and millions of people who are not supposed to be here and who are violating our laws and who don't seem to think that we even have a right to tell them anymore that they are violating our laws. Whereas, you know, we had we had AG Sessions on this one. He, he is strong on immigration, my friends. He does everything he can under the law. We need the Republican Congress to act, and we need the Trump administration to spur them to that action. Eight four four nine hundred buck. If you want to chat about this, and uh, we have a whole lot more coming, including a quite a throwdown between Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Bro Cuomo over at CNN. That's coming up. The FBI says home title lock is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourself because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. You know, everything is stored online these days, and that means that your home's title is available for thieves, too. And they're not just domestic thieves, international cyber criminals, and they are targeting Americans. Why? Because people like you have equity in your home. And so what the bad guys do is get access to your home's title, they replace it with an alias, and then they borrow every penny they can against your home's equity. It's a huge problem. And by the way, insurance does not cover it. Credit monitoring does not cover it. You need Home Title Lock. Go check it out. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. I mentioned this before, and I wanted to, just just before we went to the, the break there, and I mentioned this fraudster in Detroit and how this is the other part of the opioid crisis is that unsavory, untrustworthy doctors and, and others, uh, 
you know, who, who prescribe pills and get involved in these schemes because the pills have a very, they're very valuable on the street, you know, selling them illegally, things like Oxycontin, and they just ruin people's lives, and they're so powerful. Uh, this guy, Rashid, his last name, I'm trying to find his first name, he faces life in prison for a $132 million fraud scheme here uh, where he, according to the Detroit News, recruited homeless people as patients, sent phony bills to Medicare, and subjected drug addicts to unnecessary back injections and then prescribed powerful pain medication that, so that it could be sold on the street. Yeah, he's in a lot of trouble. He had like a gold Lamborghini, though, so, there's, so he had that going for him, which is nice. Dexter in San Antonio, what's on your mind, sir? Hey, Buck. Uh, on a lighter note, I'm thinking that you need to give uh, Nancy Pelosi her own theme song. And I'm torn between the Wicked Witch of the West theme from The Wizard of the Oz or uh, If I Only Had a Brain, the Scarecrow song. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of torn as to which one I think would be uh, better. I see Dexter really is a, a musical theater buff. <laughs> not really. I just, I, I, every time I listen to her, I think, when are they going to acknowledge that she is now suffering from Alzheimer's? Hey, be nice. Uh, I'm, I'm just telling you, she's got the symptoms. She's got the symptoms. Anyway, uh, that's not what I, I wanted to call and talk to you about. Have you been seeing Elon Musk's uh, tweets about the media? Saying that they have no credibility, and that's why Trump was elected. No, but this sounds uh, amazing. Do I need to track these down? Yeah, I think you ought to, because now he is claiming he's going to set up a media watch group, uh, which <laughs> you're going to love this. He's going to call it Pravda. Huh. All right. Well, thank you, Dexter, for the heads up on that. I'll take a look. I didn't know anything about those Elon Musk tweets. Look, he's a smart dude. He's a visionary. He's the real deal. So I'll give it a shot. And, uh, there we have it. Um, oh, yeah, the, the Cuomo-Sarah Huckabee Sanders throwdown. I want to break that down with you coming up next. If you think having your credit card stolen is bad, it's nothing compared to home title theft. Everything is online these days. That includes your home's title. And thieves at home and all over the world hunt homeowners here in America because we have equity. And guess what? They'll steal that equity. They will take you off your home's title and add an alias, then borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars using your home's equity and then sticking you with the payments. You're not going to know until you get a late payment notice. Identity theft programs don't protect you. Neither does insurance, but home title lock safeguards your home's title from cyber thieves and hackers by putting an online perimeter around your home's title. The instant they detect someone tampering with it, they're on it, they'll help you, they'll shut it down. This is for pennies a day, folks. Home Title Lock protects your most valuable asset, your home. Register for a free analysis to see if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. The IG has looked at his leadership model and found lacking. I, I, at the end of the day, uh, 
the the reason he jumped into the middle of the 2016 election was because he believed there were some intelligence compromising uh, the Attorney General Loretta Lynch. I think the Department of Justice was in the tank for Clinton. Uh, the FBI did not do a very good job of uh, looking at the Clinton email investigation. It was a sham investigation. There was insubordination or belligerent, arrogant attitude by uh, the FBI director. And that pattern continued. Uh, it, it, it was do what I want to do the way I want to do. For example, he, uh, he suspected Loretta Lynch of, of misconduct, and yet he never kept memos of their meetings, but he kept a memo from day one uh, with President Trump. He serves at the pleasure of the president, and if, in fact, he's arrogant, if, in fact, he's insubordinate, uh, if, in fact, he has a double standard for Hillary uh, and, and against Trump, all of those things are reasons to terminate him. The reality is this is a indictment of the behavior of Comey more than sufficient to show he should have been terminated. IG report is going to be out uh, next week. It is going to be a rough one, I think, for Comey and McCabe. In fact, all of the initial information we have, all of the, the, the tidbits that have been released, I guess you could say, leaks in advance of the uh, official unveiling of this Inspector General report from the Department of Justice indicates that uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to find out that, that Comey is every bit as unctuous and self-maneuver, you know, self-entitled, maneuvering, just a, a bureaucratic, slimy guy, as I've been telling you all along. That's what I think. Uh, that's what I think we're going to find out. But the the big takeaway from it could be there was ample ground to fire Comey. And if the president had ample ground to fire Comey, as he did, then what is this whole obstruction farce that they are trying to run with in the media and and even included into the Mueller probe? What's the what's the purpose of of that? How could that be? If Comey's own inspector or former inspector general at the Department of Justice. Finds wrongdoing in Comey's actions, as he certainly will. There's absolutely no excuse, absolutely no excuse whatsoever for what Comey did by stepping in front of Loretta Lynch, that whole press conference, that was, Comey just couldn't help himself. He wanted to be the one, the one honest man at the center of the drama. It's unacceptable. That was not his job, that was not his role, and the only reason that Loretta Lynch allowed it to happen was that the alternative for her was to just show everybody how corrupt and swampy the whole Obama-Clinton circle was. So, you know, th this is uh, going to be a tough week for them. As I've been saying, big week in the news coming up. North Korea summit uh, next week in Singapore, and you also are going to have the, the IG report released. And then some hearings on Capitol Hill about it. So we're going to have a lot, a lot to talk about next week on this one. But I also wanted to get to a little bit of this Cuomo Sanders. Hey, bro, Cuomo. Hey, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Do you get in all your macros? Do you lift? Uh, he said he's getting a primetime show at CNN now. So I, I don't know what they, 
I don't know what they're doing over at CNN. Anyway, she went on his show last night. Uh, I give her give her credit for going to the lion's den. I don't think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is afraid of anybody. And this is how some of it went. It was really some, some worthwhile exchanges. Play clip one. Do you believe that this is sustainable, this dynamic where we come at you with questions about what's true and what isn't, and those questions don't get answered? Do you think that by saying we stink, uh, that I, we don't like veterans, I don't, that we are bad for America, the president says that we're enemies of America, do you think that that works for you long term? Uh, look, what I think is important to remember is that you guys get to ask the questions, uh, but you can't always complain about the answers. You constantly ask the same question over and over and over again That's the and, ex- job. and expect different answers That's the and job. then get mad when the answers don't change. No, the, the job is to get information and report the news. Unfortunately, you guys quit reporting the news. She's right. CNN is not in the relaying a narrative business, the narrative of events that are happening around the world and here at home that matters to people. They're in the narrative creation business with a clear political bias in effect all the time. That's what they do. That is their day in and day out. It is now their mantra. Sarah Huckabee Sanders continued and play clip two. When I can read a news story and I have no idea what side of the story the reporter is on, that's a good news story. You'll be hard-pressed to find a lot of news that looks like that. That assumes that the story is completely even-handed, that one side isn't one more right than other, that something isn't demonstrably true, no, your that everything is unknown. The news That's isn't not the truth. The news That's isn't an opinion. Of course the, the news, news isn't is an opinion. The news is reporting facts and letting other people make the decision That's about right. how they and feel about it. And if you won't answer the question, Sarah, how can people do that? <laughs> I answer questions all day, every day. And if it's they, what I spend every minute of the I day know doing, you do. why I'm sitting here at 9 o'clock at night answering questions to you. But, it is indeed. Isn't it amazing? Notice how Cuomo's like, I mean, you don't even answer questions while he's sitting there in his new show on CNN asking her questions that she is answering. I mean, you don't even like, you know, no questions for you, right? Oh, wait, that was a question. Oi. Play three, John. Nobody thinks except really right now the president and maybe you in this moment that this is a witch hunt. These are real questions. It's a real investigation. We've seen real indictments and lots of different threads to the story. But I understand that spin. You see, that's editorializing. See, we can pull this apart. She's there saying you are doing Chris Cuomo. You you know, put down the protein shake, bro. You are doing a, an, an opinion show under the guise of being a straight news show. You are doing an opinion show. This is an opinion show that I am on, speaking from the perspective of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And you guys aren't honest about that. You don't recognize that fact. So what, what is one to make of it, right? What are we to think about it? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's her fault for not answering the questions. This is just nonsense. It's garbage. When he says that it is spin to call something a witch hunt. No, actually, that's the opinion of people who are allowed to have opinions. It is spin to refer to their statement as spin because you're supposed to be a, quote, journalist. And this is what they don't get. I mean, look, the CNN, they're lucky they've got CNN International and they're the airport channel and they have all these built-in legacy ways of because 
that the, their their whole mission, or I shouldn't say their mission, their brand, because it's not the mission. The mission is take Trump down. The brand is we go down the center. We're you know you notice I don't I don't come after MSNBC all the time here on the show. And by the way, people who would say to me, "Oh, Buck, you work at CNN," yeah, so I understand what happens there, and I left of my own volition. Despite uh, what anybody may think, and I could prove it if they want me to. I just didn't want to be there anymore because it was dishonest. Flat, flat out. Uh, but they don't really understand this. And that's and they have made bringing Trump down. That, that is the mission of the entire organization. So it's not a news organization. It is a glorified pack with a media arm. And the pack is stop Trump at all costs. That is what CNN has become. And Cuomo goes even further, by the way, on the show where he's claiming to be some kind of, you know, legitimate nonpartisan journalist. Play four. Starting to regret sitting right, here right. because Listen, I've, I've I just answered wanted the to same give you a lot. I wanted to give you a lot of times. chances at it because I think it hurts your credibility. But I gave you the opportunities. You made of them what you wanted. All right. Uh, it's not. The, it's not I'm the only reason. I'm very comfortable with uh, my credibility and the fact that I, I think by sitting here right now and taking questions from True. you shows uh, the type of person I am. Shows my effort to provide information and frankly to be in an environment that's not exactly friendly that's not exactly one that i think a lot of people in my position would come and sit in and i think that speaks a lot to my credibility and if you want to focus on my credibility i think that's something that you should certainly look at i like how sarah doesn't take it do you hear the condescending tone there you know i, I gave you all the chances and i think you know hey, you know i think you had your chance and uh uh-uh. sorry he wouldn't speak that way to a democrat guest I know he wouldn't speak that way to a Democrat guest. They had people on panels with me at CNN. I remember that this is the way that it is over there that were friendly with the different hosts or whatever who would come on to talk about terrorism. And then they would come after me and they would try to even impugn my credibility to speak on the issue. And I'm looking around. I'm like, I have more credibility in this than anybody you've got sitting on this panel. And people don't know anything. Never worked a case. Never been overseas. Never been in a war zone. Don't know a damn thing. But Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper and Don Lemon are all very respectful of them because they're Democrats. Me, always a target on me because I'm a Republican. Same thing when Sarah Huckabee Sanders goes on there with with bro Cuomo. And they wonder. They wonder why the ratings are down the tubes. I mean, look, I think I I wish I mean, I, I wish people would just see it for what it is and make their decisions based upon the reality. And uh, they are a. They are an organization devoted to the propagation of the Russia collusion lie and the end of the Trump presidency. And they need a full accounting and a, honestly, a, a full reckoning with that fact before they can change. All right. We've uh, we got much more coming, team. Stay right there. Well, everybody, I just want to tell you that in case you were worrying, the inclusiveness police are out in full force and they've got some they've got a doozy for you. They've got something really exciting to tell you about. I I know some of you have been very upset. I'm sure that first of all, a lot of you are like, Buck, emojis. Really? Okay, I understand. But emojis have now become a reflection of like so many things in our culture. There is a political correctness that comes into play when we are talking about emojis. 
Anyway, uh, there is an emoji that has that was a salad emoji. So Google developers, they're, they're serious about this because they're really into inclusion and diversity at Google. And they're making it a big priority. So the, the emoji <laughs> for their Android phones used to have a salad that had tomatoes and lettuce in it with an egg. And you know what they've done, folks? Because they want to make sure everyone feels included in this wild and crazy world we live in. This, this has gotten a bunch of attention on social media. I know you think it's crazy. They've removed the egg. Why? Because they don't want vegans, I kid you not, they don't want vegans to feel left out. Because until this point, vegans would be like, oh, dude, like, for real, like, I just want an emoji that has, like, everything and, like, protein doesn't necessarily have to come from an animal, man. Like, look at that little egg, dude. It was going to be a chicken. He's like, you know, tweet, tweet, and, like, whatever. But all of a sudden now, it's just, like, you're just going to eat it and, like, stuff. And it's so mean, man, because it's like a chicken, but not really. It's like, no, the chick- the egg wasn't fertilized. And if it was, you should probably should not be eating it. Uh, so that's what they're doing now with Google. This is what one of the most advanced telecommunications companies in the world is spending its time on. Rather astonishing when you think about it, but it, it is, in fact, what's what's going on. So, you know, here we are uh, dealing with this, and, and I just feel like it's, reflect, it, it's a reflection. It is a reflection of how much these days is politicized, that even salad has now become political. Remember, they had to get rid of the gun emoji and replace it with a squirt gun because they thought that that would somehow have a role in, I don't know, lowering gun gun violence or making there be less gun violence in our culture. Uh, that is, you know, that that's what's going on here. That's the world that we live in now, folks. I, I know. It's crazy stuff. I wish it weren't so. But also... Vegans tend, I'm just putting this, vegans tend to be a little militant about their eating habits. You know, like I'm celiac, so I always have to say we had a a meeting earlier today where we're going to be here in the new office on Sunday going over all kinds of stuff, meetings. I mean, it's because we're launching next week. It's an all hands on deck situation down here in in the D.C. swamp. And they're saying, well, Buck, we need to get you something gluten free. I said, no, don't worry. Just get me some protein. You know, just get me something. I I don't need anything fancy. I'm, a, I'm an easygoing kind of guy. Just give me some animal and some veggies, and we're fine. But with vegans, it's like, excuse me, man. Like, were they, like, making the smoothie on the same countertop as, like, that chicken salad sandwich? Because, like, you can't, you know, it's, like, dead chicken. And, like, that's bad for the air and stuff. I don't know. What, whatever vegans think. You see that thing, by the way, a while ago, they were saying that the only way to save the planet is to stop eating. I'm serious about this. The only way to save the planet, this was an article, I think, in The Guardian over the weekend, is to stop eating red meat, bacon, hamburger. And I was like, <laughs> the planet's toast. The planet's toast. You know why that is, by the way? Because the farming for red meat, they say, is, is doing so much damage to the ozone. True story, cow farts, the methane from cow flatulence, more damaging to the atmosphere than... All the CO2 that is being belched out there. Which I guess it isn't belched usually, but the cow farts, that's actually a thing. So there you have it. Cows are, cows are destroying us. That's the great 
cow revenge after all of the milking and slaughtering for delicious, delicious, tasty burgers. I had a burger today for lunch. It was really great. Uh, the cows are going to get us back by overheating the planet and killing us all with our own atmosphere. Mike, how, how much sleep are you losing over this, by the way? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Next, you, next to so, none. But, but you can be happy to know that Google's removing eggs from the salad emoji because they don't want vegans to feel left out. That's how inclusive we are now. Oh, God. They still I want can't. Christians to bake the cake for people that they disagree with, but at least vegans won't feel left out. That, that's their version of tolerance and, and inclusiveness. Uh, we we got to get to a, a Samantha B. Fopology coming up, and then maybe I'll get to some, uh, some good news about a pardon. Uh, we got a little audio for you on that one. And I have, we'll do a whole bunch of roll call in the next hour. Our friend Inez Felcher will be joining. She will be discussing education policy with us and also uh, equal pay, which gets people fired up. Inez is great with equal pay because she's just like, not a thing. Not a thing. They want to make it a thing, but what they say it is is not actually a thing. That and more coming up third hour. I saw a line today for Starbucks. It had like 50 people in it. They were ordering mocha, soy, frap, whatevers. Guess what? I didn't have to wait in that line. You know why? I went back to my office, grabbed some Black Rifle coffee, and bam, got back to spreading freedom. Just like the folks at Black Rifle would want it. I know you've got a lot of coffee options, but if you're a coffee drinker like I am, you should be doing what I do. Drink Black Rifle coffee every day. Go check it out for yourself blackriflecoffee.com slash buck use the coupon code buck15 that's buck15 you will get 15% off your whole order you can also join their subscription service you get coffee sent to you every month that's what I do my K-Cups are delivered my Black Rifle rounds come to me each month just go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck coupon code buck15 make sure you type that in coupon code buck15 for 15% off join the coffee or die revolution my friends Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. You know, a lot of people were offended and angry that I used an epithet to describe the president's daughter and advisor last week. It is a word I have used on the show many times, hoping to reclaim it. This time, I used it as an insult. I crossed the line, I regret it, and I do apologize for that. The problem is that many women have heard that word at the worst moments of their lives. A lot of them don't want that word reclaimed. They want it gone. And I don't blame them. I don't want to inflict more pain on them. I want this show to be challenging, and I want it to be honest, but I never intended it to hurt anyone. Kind of an apology from Samantha B. there about calling the president's daughter and senior White House advisor the C-word. Notice how she she initially presents this, oh, I was re- I, I like to reclaim the word. Oh, okay. So, so she's, you know, there's a little bit of an attempt at mitigation here instead of just a full-on, all-out apology. And then there's also a repositioning of herself as understanding the plight of women. You know, she's like this feminist out there. You know what's a really unfeminist thing to do, Samantha B? 
to say something despicable about a woman as accomplished, uh, intelligent, beautiful. I don't know. Am I allowed to say that? Are people are the beauty police, the anti talk about beauty police going to come after me? I don't, I don't know what's I don't even know what's allowed anymore. I'm not the only one. I, I feel like beautiful is becoming an epithet. You're not allowed to say that anymore. You know, oh, my gosh, you're undermining that person's integrity by calling them beautiful. I don't know if I call a guy handsome. Is that OK? I don't know. You know, it, it strikes me as we're, we're no longer we no longer even understand what the rules are because they change every day. But it's really unfeminist to to attack a you know that's someone's wife, mother, daughter and a very prominent American who I would note should be a role model for young girls. They should look up to Ivanka and think, oh, here's somebody who is in a committed relationship, married, had kids after getting married, is raising those kids. Uh, you know, Ivanka, yeah, she comes from a privileged background, but as I've told you before, I knew her growing up. A lot of kids from privileged backgrounds in New York City not turn out anywhere near as well as Ivanka did. She works hard. She's smart. I, I just, it was so grotesque and over the line. And I, I have to reiterate here that what Samantha B said was in the prompter, folks. It was not a slip of the lip. It wasn't, a, you know, caught up in a heated moment. And, you know, she can't even just really, she, she can't just apologize. She has to frame the apology in a way that she reclaims a little bit of her standing within the feminist movement or something. Or, you know, she's, She's looking for the feminist left to come to her aid on this. And I just find it, you know, really unseemly. You know, apologize or don't apologize. Don't pretend to apologize. She keeps her show, though, you'll notice. Not canceled. Not off the air. Not her, all of her writers, including those that probably put that line in there, the executive producer of the show who approved it, they're not, no one's, none of them are losing their jobs. Somebody who's not even just a conservative, but somebody associated with Trump or conservatism, absolutely would have gotten fired. Absolutely would have lost not just that person's job, but the jobs of everybody who works uh, with them. But we have different, we have different rules for liberals. As you know, the double standard, it is bright red. It is a bright red neon sign. The double standards that we see, it could not be any more obvious really than it is. Uh, so there you have, it. and then also I just want to note, uh, she does have sponsors who are some sponsors who have fled her show. We'll see if uh, if they come back. We'll see. Now on to a happier note for just a moment here. Alice Maria Johnson was not pardoned, but had her sentence commuted. So it's an act of clemency. It's not you shouldn't have been prosecuted. It's not you got railroaded. It's none of that. It's you've done. Well in prison, you have reformed, you deserve a second chance. That's what the president decided. And I, we have just a little bit of audio here to share of Alice Maria Johnson, who President Trump, remember, she's African-American grandma, in fact, a great-grandma, served 20-plus years for a conspiracy drug trafficking charge. So must have been lar- a large amount of drugs, no question about that, uh, or, or a very serious drug case, because she got life. Life in prison. Uh, you know, you, you tend not to get that for anything that's not a, an egregious violation. But 
she uh, she was reunited with her family. She has a second chance. We just I want to play some audio, give you a kind of an, an uplifting moment here. Please go for it. And Alice, will you, if you had a chance to talk to the president, what would you tell him? I would tell President Trump, thank you so much that I am going to be that one that is going to make you so proud. And I hope that my life will encourage him to do this for others, too. She's now a symbol of serving your time, serving your time well, reforming yourself, being a model prisoner while you were serving. And now she's out. I I think it's just really astonishing to watch so many liberals in the media who they can't bring themselves to be happy for this woman because Trump is the one that commuted her sentence. They're now picking at, oh, why did why didn't Obama commute her? Why? You know, they're asking all these questions they are saying, oh, well, this is just a one off. You know, Trump doesn't do anything for the black community. They can't even allow him this. They can't say, you know what, Trump? I might disagree with you, and this is now speaking from the liberal perspective. I might disagree with you on so many different things, but on this, you made the right move. They're so hypocritical in the media, and and we're all sick of it. I know you're sick of it. Uh, but we've got our friend Ines Felcher from the Federalist joining in just a moment. She's going to talk to us about equal pay and the pay gap, which is a lie. Stay with me. Our sponsor this half hour is a fantastic new novel called Anubis. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts, and the U.S. special forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis. An aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn army major face an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. A catastrophe of biblical proportions is about to unfold. The new president is facing a ruthless, relentless caliphate, and our military and elected leaders have no means to stop it. The only real questions are when and where. This is Anubis. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain. Eric Anderson is a former undercover U.S. intelligence agent. His new novel from Dunn Books is Anubis. That's A-N-U-B-I-S. Now on sale at Amazon.com or visit DunnBooks.com. Okay, everybody, uh, you may not have seen this, but there is... A trend out there. In fact, it is trending today. The Equal Pay Act. A lot of folks are trying to push this uh, because it is an anniversary when it regards the Equal Pay Act. And clearly this is a top agenda item for the social justice left. Inez Felcher is with us now. She's a senior contributor at the Federal. She's going to speak to us about the Equal Pay Act. Inez, great to have you. Thanks for having me, Buck. Okay, so first off, what's the, it's the it's the the fifty fifth, the sixty fifth, some anniversary today of Equal Pay, right? Yeah, so the original Equal Pay Act was passed in nineteen sixty three. So this is the fifty fifth anniversary um, of the act, and uh, the left is using this as an opportunity to advocate for strengthening that act. So initially, this just said you can't pay men and women differently based on sex, right? Pretty basic thing. In fact, all fifty states already make that illegal. This was the federal law that made it illegal. Um, I think most of us agree that you shouldn't be paid differently because you're a woman. But the 
additional things the left wants to add on here are going to take it way beyond that. What what do they want to do? I mean, what's the I'm seeing you know Equal Pay Act today. This is the, the hashtag that's getting all kinds of attention. I'm I'm assuming that this ties into uh, you know like women in Hollywood saying they should be paid what the male co-stars are and all this stuff, right? Or the the pay gap. Yeah. This is all really about the pay gap, the mythological pay gap. That's right. So um, the left really likes to highlight this um, average difference between women's earnings and men's earnings. So if you add up all of men's earnings and you take the median um, and then add up all of women's earnings and take that median, women make, quote, 77 cents on the dollar. That's not at all indicative of the fact that women are paid differently just for being women. In fact, it's indicative of different choices that really make than men in terms of occupation, what they major in in college, how many uh, hours they work per week and how flexible those hours are, years of experience in the workforce, and all kinds of other legitimate reasons why the average woman might make less than the average man without actually discriminating against anyone who's doing the same work. You got Kirsten Gillibrand out there tweeting out, the Equal Pay Act was passed 55 years ago but the pay gap still exists. Gender or race should never impact your paycheck. This discrimination hurts women, working families, and our economy. That's why we need to pass the Paycheck Fairness Act to ensure equal pay no matter what. A couple things here. First of all, what the heck is the Paycheck Fairness Act? I mean, there's the Equal Pay Act passed 55 years ago, the Paycheck Fairness Act. How would that even be implemented? Yeah, so that's just the update that I was referring to that the left wants to pass. It would shift the burden to employers to prove that any differential um, between male and female employees in their uh, workforce is not due to discrimination, right? So it shifts the, the burden to the for the employer to then have to explain to the government, oh, this is why I pay Sally $55,000 and Bob $65,000. Right. That, that's an enormous burden for businesses when, in fact, there's no evidence that there's any kind of widespread discrimination based on sex. And as I, I mentioned earlier, these average differences in pay actually have been uh, the, the explanation that it might be due to discrimination has been widely debunked, even by academic and, and feminist organizations. Um, when you take into account all of these other factors like occupation, major work hours, you know, experience, all of those things, uh, that the gap shrinks to something that's just a few percentage points. And we don't really know why that is, but there's no real evidence to suggest that it's discrimination on any kind of wider scale. I just want to know overkill on a number 10 problem. I just want to know if if, in fact, the the pay gap is real. And for anybody listening, if you want to see one of the most amazing YouTube interviews in recent memory, go check out the Jordan Peterson interview with a BBC journalist. I forget her name over the pay gap because I can't do it justice except to say you have to just watch it and listen. And she just keeps saying, well, you know, the pay gap is real. Are you saying it's not real? It's real. Are you saying it's not real? It's like a religious belief for some people. Uh, if it were the case, though, it is. I just feel like any intelligent capitalist. Uh, running a company would say, well, my single biggest cost in my business and in, in, in for most businesses is, in fact, human capital. It's the people. It's your it's your payroll costs. So if you could save close to 20 percent by just having a company full of women, wouldn't you just do that? You have, think of the 
Think of the uh, edge you'd have on your competitors. Absolutely. The left is all about greedy capitalists, right? Um, and, and if, in fact, this were true, of course, there would be, at the very least, there would be some bright female entrepreneurs who would start businesses and hire an all-female workforce and save massively um, and be able to pass on that, that savings to their consumer and dominate the competition. But in fact, there's, there's very little evidence that this, that this gap exists due to discrimination. And actually, um, it was almost it's a very interesting uh, factor that came up in this debate just a few months ago because it was um, published that Uber actually has a sex wage gap between male and female drivers. Um, and that is particularly interesting because Uber pays by formula. There is no subjective decision-making, no one to discriminate. It is a pure formula. And even by paying by formula, male and female drivers made different decisions that generated a pay gap. Uh, so really, this trying to put this myth to rest. Now, I want to get you really fired up. We're speaking to Inez Felcher, everybody. She's senior contributor to The Federalist, uh, does a lot of great writing and, and research on all these things. There's another hashtag out there, Rethink School. What's this all about? Because I know you're, you're a school reform expert. I'm actually I'm not familiar with the, the hashtag, so I'm not sure um, what, what that's about. Well, it's about it's the U.S. Department of Education put out 93 percent of Swiss students who are enrolled in pre-vocational or vocational programs are enrolled in joint vocational programs, which combine both school and work elements. Essentially, vocational training. What say you about vocational training? Yeah, the hashtag is kind of irrelevant, yeah. but it's just how people are talking about it today. <laughs> What do you think about vocational exactly training in our system? Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, we actually are, have a lot uh, to look to in Europe on vocational training. Uh, the German system, the Swiss system, uh, they are both way more flexible than our system. And one particular element of, of the German system I think is really important and we should look at duplicating here is to have a lot of different on and off ramps for different kinds of credentials, right? So the way that we do it here. Um, you go to high school. If you graduate, you either you're looking at um, just taking a job with a, uh, a high school degree. You're looking at going to a four-year college, or maybe you're looking at going to a two-year associate's degree um, or some kind of certification. So those are very exclusive paths. And once you get on one of those paths, it can be very hard to start over, right? Whereas the way that Germany does it, it's more like stackable credentials. So at around the age of 15 or 16. Uh, German kids lane into, you know, various vocational tracks, and including an academic one that we would, would compare to our four-year university. But the difference is that they can jump in and out of those tracks at any point. So they stack credentials that take a year or two years to build. And then you can go on and do an academic career if you want to after you've done your vocational track. And so that just provides a lot more flexibility for people rather than having this, this idea that everybody has to go to a four-year university or you're not going to be successful. We've seen that that's not true. And in, in the process, we've overloaded an entire generation that we've told you have to go to college, you have to go to college or you're not going to be successful. We've overloaded them with an enormous amount of debt. And it turns out their degrees are not actually worth that much at the end of the day. How is this administration doing as from from a conservative's perspective, Inez, how's this administration doing on school choice? On on some of the you know people used to talk a lot about Bobby Jindal before that response to the State of the Union address, you know, but how he's done good things in Louisiana for schools and and the, the conservative alternative 
in the realm of of schools across the board. How are we doing here? I mean, is Betsy DeVos making some headway? I mean, going into the midterms, is there a story to tell the American people about, hey, conservatives have better answers on this than the other guys or Republicans in this case? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the conservatives have better answers to fix a monopolistic school system that's really not working for everyone. Um, And in fact, it's working for very few students and parents. but, I mean, this is really not a story about Betsy DeVos, because Betsy DeVos, even though she's a really strong uh, champion of school choice, Betsy DeVos is the Secretary of Education. At the end of the day, the feds only put in 10% of the money per, um, per pupil for uh, education in this country. 90% of it still is uh, local and state funds. And so the states really control education in this country. And that, that's the way it ought to be. That's the way that our Constitution designed the system. Um, so Betsy DeVos is a good advocate and good for her voice, but really this is something we ought to be putting pressure as conservatives on our state representatives, our local representatives, to go ahead and grant educational freedom in a more broad way. The school choice programs that are currently enacted are actually really small and targeted, right? They create a lot of noise. They make teachers unions very, very angry uh, because they're easily angered. But in the, at the end of the day, they usually only percentage of kids, about four to five percent in the states that have the largest programs. And really, it, educational choice should be for everyone. Conservatives shouldn't be ashamed of or, or kind of shooting ourselves in the foot before we even get it to the negotiating table. We should be opening with the position that school choice is for everyone. If a kid doesn't fit in a high-performing suburban school and prefers to go to, for example, a parochial school down the street, then that we should support that kid and that family in the choice of best for him or her. Inez Felcher, everybody, senior contributor at The Federalist. Go to thefederalist.com for her latest. Inez, always great to have you on. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. All right, team, when we come back, roll call is upon us. Stay with me. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. 8 no party like a team buck party, because a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Yeah, it is. What happened to, I know that was a horn section, but what happened to the saxophone? The saxophone was a thing. You know, you used to listen to sax music sometimes. You'd hear it places. I don't know, people start making jokes about Kenny G and the sax and the clarinet. No, for real. You used to walk around the streets and you would hear people just ripping out some tunes on a sax and you just don't get that anymore, right? I don't know what happened. It fell out of favor. I'm just thinking about that right now. Remember in The Simpsons, that guy that uh, like teaches Lisa the sax? It was the thing. First up here, Roll Call. And if you want to be a part of Roll Call, it's a great process. It's a straightforward process. You just go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Send me all of your wonderful thoughts, and I will share them with uh, hundreds of thousands of people across the country, folks. That's, uh, that's what we'll do here. So there you go. First up, Andy. 
He writes, Shields High, great show as usual. Two quick comments. First, have you ever considered that your advice for being read on roll call is the same as your advice for cooking eggs? More butter, less heat. Very clever, Andy. I had not thought of that before. Second, I just listened to last Friday's podcast. Before you write off acapella music, you really need to listen to the group Straight No Chaser. Hmm. Oh, Pentatonics, by the way, was the name of the group before that uh, I was trying to think of. That people are always like, have you listened to Pentatonics before? Because they're amazing. Bum, 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 bum. Billy Jean is not my lover. Just, you know, no. Okay, no. It is no acapella. No. Just stop. Step away from the acapella. I'm telling you. I was subjected to so much of it in college, you know? You know, a lot of like, I like the, I like the way you work it. Ba, 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 ba. I like to bag it up. I like the way you work it. No diggity. I mean, <laughs> it's like, no, no. Do not do that song acapella or, or, or ever. Man. All right, we've got... Uh, Tony here. I noticed on recent podcasts your lamentations on the lack of good gluten-free cheesesteaks. By the way, my, my voice is back today, as you can tell, after having a cold for days. It's very nice. My friend Jay Green owns a shop and has a separate gluten-free kitchen. It's in suburban Philadelphia. People come from states away for it, and it is highly recommended and reviewed. I eat his full gluten menu regularly, and it's very good. If you ever find yourself in Philly, I'll treat Jay's Steak and Hoagie Joint, Parkland, Pennsylvania. Shields high. Hey, Tony, you know what, man? I'm going to check it out next time I'm in Philly area. And uh, Philly's a great town, so I won't be, won't be too long, I'm sure, before I make my way up there. And especially these days because I'm a swamp dweller. Swampy. Hey, Mike and John, can we get some, like, sounds of the swamp to play in the background, you know? Like when they do the National Geographic Okie Finoki or whatever, and you hear all, like, the... the you know what I mean? Mike, yeah, for sure. We can do that, right? Absolutely. We need to, we need to like lean into this whole Swamp Thing a mm. little bit. Or maybe borrow from... Did Swamp Thing have a cool... That's it. I don't yeah, even Swamp know. Swamp Thing was a, it was a movie, right? Yeah, no, yeah but, old, but also it was a TV show, I think, on USA for a while. I used to watch a lot of USA. Uh, you know, Angela Lansbury, Murder, She Wrote, was like my jam when I was 12. Uh, but yeah, I think... Uh, I think we could get maybe some of the, the intro from the intro music from Swamp Thing if it's good. We'll see. I mean, it's not going to be MacGyver good. See what I mean about USA? But it'll be good. All right. Uh, we have next up Eric. LOL. I don't give a damn about the Eagles. Oh, I thought your Lindsey Graham impression was pretty good. Well, thank you, Eric. I, my Lindsey Graham impression, it's not my best, but it's not terrible. I get savage, by the way, when I try a new impression and, and, it, and it's a wah, wah. You know, people are like, don't ever do that again. I'm like, whoa, I thought we were all friends. I thought we were in the trust tree, the, the hut. You know, I thought we were all buddies. What, what changed? Makes me sad. Uh, Mar- okay, you know what, actually? Producer Mike, of all of the accents shared in the Freedom Hut, do you have a favorite? Um, you got to just pick one, man. Or John, I'll let you go first because John's been with me for seven years. John, who is it? Are you a Bernie uh, fan? Your Bernie is good, yeah. Um, Thank you. I like your Clinton. That's good, too. Your Bill Clinton, ah. that is. 
Thank you, sir. Your Hillary well, won greats, you know. People not- are very, like, polarized on Hillary because it doesn't sound like her, but they like that I capture the essence of Hillary with it. That's really what it comes down to. Your big sis was excellent. She misses you, John. That's right. How many of you remember Janet Napolitano back in the day? Hey, everybody. <clears throat> you know, I just want to tell you that DHS is working hard to... Uh, interestingly enough, my Napolitano and my union organizer are, are very similar. It's almost like they're siblings. It sounds very very much the same. Uh, and Mike has still not said anything, so that's okay, Mike. I'm gonna no, no, I was waiting I'm for gonna... you to finish it. I didn't want to you know, just jump uh, in. Oh, what do you got? What do you, what do you got, Chief? I, I, I like that Hillary's, you know, is great. Um, oh, I'll, go, I'll go off the little little beaten path here. I like the, uh, is it your Chuck Grassley where you, you mumble? Who's who's the guy? Oh, you... oh, gurgling with Gergen? G- yeah, Gergen. That's good. Yeah. Or Nixon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like, I, I, sort of like... I like that one because I swear I could do the voiceover for him on CNN and nobody would know the difference. Yeah, and because that's the only impression you do where you do it and I, his face immediately pops into my head. <laughs> like, Thank I you. just see him, I see him... That sourpuss face on CNN doing that. Yeah, thank you. Because that's exactly get, what he sounds like. We, just, just for fun, for maybe like Friday, can we do a, a, a like montage of some Gergen talking about previous administrations and stuff? <laughs> and just so people can hear. Of course. Like, it sounds like, yeah. Mike, but it's all going to sound the same because he always sounds the same. Right, exactly. <laughs> Reagan, Ford, Nixon, administration. Uh, Buck, we, I have we a request. Get, yeah, yeah, sure. Can you do Jay Carney for old time's sake? Smarmy Smurf? Yeah. I don't even remember what... It was, I don't, what did John, that's, John's kicking an old school here for the original Saturday squad. We used to do Smarmy Smurf Jay Carney all the time. And we started calling him just Smarmy Smurf. And I don't, I can't even, John, you're, man, I feel old. I can't even remember. You know what? I'm going to go back and listen. I think it's like, yeah, Jay Carney, Smarmy Smurf. Like he's kind of like down there, but I don't really remember. I got to get back and get into that. But thank you, John, for bringing me down memory lane. I don't. That's a good one. And big sis, man. I want her to get an administration job just so I can do a whole segment. It's like, hey, so the TSA needs you to turn around and cough. All right? Don't fight it. Like, I just need people to... Just saying. All right. David, up next. Oh, whoa. David wrote a very long note here. Hey, Buck. Dave from Highlands, New Jersey. Enjoyed our on-air chat a few weeks back. My roll call note... There's a still a deafening promo in your rotation. It is he's holding the line for America. Often I'm not fast enough to dial my volume down. Uh, promo, blah, blah, too loud. Audio engineer. Okay. Millions of buck ears will thank you. John, are we doing a promo that's way too loud? That's the one that comes out of the break. That's At so how do we make that out break? So, Everything, He's holding the line. Everything for is uh, compressed to the same level, so it's the way it was originally produced. But we need I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll bring it down uh, just for him. I'll bring okay. it down a little bit more. Yeah, bring it down a little. And, and by the way, a note that I gave myself yesterday on some of our reintros, where it's, it's like the ones where we're doing, uh, you know, he's holding the line. We got to get new, new bed music in those, so that's a note to self. We've been running those for a long time. Our new show intro, kick, uh, show intro kicks butt, but our bed music is kind of like, I don't even know where it came from. I think it was just we inherited it from the previous iteration of, of the show. So we got to get that going. You know what, John? Can, can we roll into a, a, just a, 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 brief, a breather here and come back and finish out roll call on the other side? Let's do that. All right. Uh, team, stay right there because I want to get into your thoughts and less of mine. Uh, so just give me a minute. We'll be right back.
All right, the roll call continues here in the Freedom Hut. Oh, but let me, quick note, I know I said Freedom Hut podcast this week. It's going to be next week, folks. We just had a couple of technical things, and the uh, the official announcement for my project here in the swamp comes out Monday. It's 100% in motion going on Monday, so I can tell you all about it Monday. It'll be a lot of fun to discuss that. Uh, but also, next week will be when we can get the, the, first, uh, the first podcast out for the Freedom Hut, so I'm sorry that we haven't. You know, it's uh, the buck is taking on a lot, but enough enough about me. Let's get to your thoughts here about the show, about the country, about the world. That sounded a little grandiose, but let's just roll with it. Alan, Alan writes, Buck, I love the show. So many times I laugh out loud or want to send you a message about a topic, but forget later. Was listening to your June 6 podcast. And at the end, another fan mentioned how it was the anniversary of D-Day. Now, you and I are probably the same age and can Uh, and watched all the great documentaries in the History Channel about World War II. When I turned it on last night to see if they had any, because it was June 6th, they had friggin' Pawn Stars on, and for the next couple of hours it was followed by American Pickers or some other show that no one would learn that much history about. There could have been something on earlier, but you would think that they could dedicate a whole day to it. Again, love the show and keep up the good work. You're uh, my fellow Zennial AMF and Shields High. Uh, well, Alan, great to hear from you, man. Thank you for the uh, for the awesome note. And look, I've been bemoaning this for a while. I've been trying to get into, um, you know, I, I've been trying very hard to uh, find a way to bring back more of the history that we've lost from History Channel. That's why I've done those podcasts. The Siege of Malta is going to be the next Shields High. I, I, I'm going to get to it. I just when when you guys hear what's going on on Monday, uh, I, I'm part of launching a whole new network. Okay, so that's what I've been doing. We are launching a whole new network, not for radio, um, but yeah. So that's going to be announced all. It'll be in the the media on Monday. So that's why I'm. I swear I'm not dilly dallying as much as I wish. I was just cooking lots of delicious food and and actually getting to the gym to fight the dad bodism. Although somebody pointed out to me this week, dad bod means you're cuddly. It means you like to just kind of chill. You know, you know, some guy who I, I remember. I think it was a Navy SEAL a long time ago who told me that he just doesn't really trust any guy over 30 with a six-pack, you know? I mean, I'm just saying. Just, you, know, you like a little beer, you like a little brie, you're probably not going to have a six-pack. Uh, but, Alan, um, World War II, I agree with you, not nearly enough attention paid to D-Day yesterday in the media, and, uh, yeah, you're, you're correct, sir. Um, what else is up here? Uh else is up here we have jack who writes the following buck sorry have to disagree with you vehemently on your with your take on the alice johnson clemency issue you seem to be falling into the left trap by using the frame first-time offender and non-violent drug criminal it appears very clear she was convicted under the federal drug kingpin statute she was a leader of a narcotics importation distribution network very different from normal drug distribution. I was involved as a county SWAT team member and medic in several cases where the feds took the offenders under the kingpin statute. Uh, Some were older, grandmothers and grandfathers, but they were so far from deserving mercy, it is unreal. One got to the scene of a car crash that her son was in prior to police and removed the drugs that he had transported from New York. She had no concern about his and his passengers' injuries, but fled with the drugs so they would not be lost. The damage that is done on behalf of the kingpins, violent crimes, including murder and maiming, should never be forgotten. 
The kingpins are never close enough to the violence to be convicted of those specific offenses, but the evidence most likely was presented in court for their cases about the violent crimes they suborned. Children in the communities uh, that these maggots infect are locked inside and unable to play. They live in fear. It is like getting the lawyers who protect the drug distribution networks. The evidence that presented in support of the ongoing criminal enterprise, like RICO, is what you should look into and reveal to those who are falling for the nonviolent first-time offender crowd. Many home invasion armed robberies are pled to grand larceny from a person, nonviolent felony, in order to get the conviction because the victims are less than reputable despite the fact that the crime did occur and was quite violent. I absolutely respect your opinion, but I ask you to give this some thought and maybe see if someone involved in the case might speak out about it. 22 years might not be might be enough punishment, but she has not served her time. The judge jury decided she owed much more, likely because of the damage that she was responsible for. And the president can certainly do what he did, but it doesn't make Johnson a victim of the system because she is a black grandmother, great grandmother from Jack, a former SWAT member. You will notice I read the entirety of that message because I thought it was important, insightful and and well written Uh, and. I, I accept Jack's notion that I might have given more credit to this woman's uh, this woman's case than I should have. Uh, I, I like it, by the way, when people tell me that they think that I'm wrong when they do it in the way that Jack does, when they present me with, this is why I think you're wrong. Uh, and and I, I really like to engage with those arguments. Jack, let me say this. Look, I understand. A lot of times prosecutors will take a lesser, they'll, they'll have a lesser charge on the table for somebody as part of the plea bargain. And oftentimes, possession, conspiracy, those are charges that are used in place of what would be more scary sounding charges, but that might be harder to prove. And the idea is, well, if they've got you on a certain degree of drug possession, they might not get you on attempted murder, right? But if you go away for 20 years on the drug possession charge, if it's enough weight, they may just give you that, right? Instead of well, I, I took a shot at, a, at another dealer and they're not going to necessarily go for the attempted murder charge or, you know, you're part of a criminal conspiracy with violence as as a part of it. So that's, I think, something to, to keep in mind here. Uh, and and I'm, I appreciate you bringing it up. But but there's also the notion of clemency for prison cases uh, is not just about whether or not it's not just about what the person did before they went in it's what they do while they're in it's the notion of rehabilitation and a second chance and by all accounts alice johnson's time in prison was exemplary she served 20 years and she wasn't in there for for murder or for treason or for uh, a crime that would have the death penalty attached to it so i I think that you look it's a judgment call i appreciate your perspective but I, i will say that uh, this is worth me looking into some more, and I will, uh, because I find your your argument and your perspective on this to be compelling. So thank you, Jack, and also thank you for keeping the streets safe for all of the rest of us. Uh, I'm glad we got into some of that roll call today. We're obviously going to do a whole lot more uh, coming up tomorrow. It'll be a Freestyle Friday. I'm going to be still in the swamp tomorrow, by the way. So uh, I'll be down here taking your calls, hanging out, looking forward to it. Uh, much to discuss. Huge news week coming up, so... Tomorrow we'll try to have some fun, too. I don't want us to get too intense here in the hut. Uh, But we'll have that and more, so see you next time. Shields high. Nine Line Apparel is much more than a clothing company. As they say in their mission statement, it's much more than getting dressed every day. It's about being proud of who you are, what you wear, and how you walk through life. 
Nine Line is relentlessly patriotic. They hold no punches. They don't apologize for their love of country and are America's next greatest generation. You should get your clothing from here because they've got fantastic designs, really comfortable hoodies, T-shirts, all the apparel needs that you have. Go to NineLineApparel.com and see for yourself. This is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your most comfortable gear. Their CEO and their top officers are veterans. They support the veterans community. Go check them out. Go to NineLineApparel.com. Use the coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. That is a great deal. 20% off is a real savings here. NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20, B-U-C-K-20, for 20% off. 